2: and why we're here and what it means for us to be the garden uh, Planet in Long Beach. So as Darren said, values and vision and kind of frame over the last couple of weeks And today, I get to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is the, which is the church. And I'm um, very, very aware uh, that the church has gotten a bad rap, sometimes deservedly, um, that there is a, um, a lot of... Uh, Pushback to the idea of church that Jesus didn't come to establish a church uh, or an institution that He came to uh, enable relationship. And get all that, and, and, and in fact, in my role often in teaching at, at the university, I hear people say all the time, in one form or another, you know, it's not religion; it's a relationship. Uh, uh, I, I, I love I love Jesus, but I don't like the church very much. And. And the difficulty with that, of course, if you think about it for a minute, it's, it's like saying, I, 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 I love Jesus, but I hate what he loves. I, I love Jesus, but I hate his bride, who he died for. At, at some point, you've got to realize, if you love Jesus and don't love the church, then you probably don't love Jesus in the way that he would invite you to. Does, does that make sense? It's like saying, you know, you like me, but you don't like my wife. Well, I get that at a friendship level, maybe. Although, how anybody could not love my wife—it usually works the other way around. Uh, (laughs) True story. Um, But, but, but at some point, there's a there's there's an infectious connection with loving what someone else loves, right? And so and that's what I kind of would like to invite you into today to think theologically with me about who the church is and why it matters and why it works and how it works itself out uh, here in in, uh, in the Garden of Long Beach because we're only one expression of the church and I'm so grateful for Darren's leadership and our elders' leadership that have have built connections with other churches, Long Beach Christian Fellowship, Parkside, and various other other expressions and, and partners in the body of Christ. They are not our competition. Uh, they are our partners in mission. And I'm grateful to be on the same team as the leadership of those of those communities. But I want to kind of frame our conversation today by looking at a, a number of texts. And if you have Bibles, we're going to move through this fairly quickly. The text will be up on the screen. And also, you already saw the version uh, app uh, in the live event that we're, we're working on this morning. First one is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to just reflect on the question, who is the church? What is is the character and the nature of it? We'll talk about that in a minute. But first of all, Peter is writing to the church, and he says to them, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm just going to stop there for a minute. Uh, Each of those four phrases in that first verse, verse—chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, come from the Old Testament. And in fact, I mentioned to the community group leaders uh, in in the first service, and this might be a valuable study for you at some point, in conjunction with this is to take those four phrases and put them back into the original content. Most of them come from Deuteronomy and Exodus, in which God is framing a people who will partner with him in saving the world. Does that make sense? Who, who, will, who will be his ambassadors, who will be his, his kind of shock troops, who, uh, who, will, who will get parachuted down, if you will, behind enemy lines and partner with God to save the world. And he has chosen those people who first, in their first iteration, was the nation of the people of Israel. But please remember that Israel was blessed in order that it might be a blessing, not so that it could enjoy being blessed. It was always functional. And to the degree that Israel failed in its functionality, God has focused his call to Israel into one person, Jesus Christ, and those who are in him now participate in God's plan to save the world. And that group is called the church. And and, and I could go into this in great detail, but I'm not sure that it's important for our conversation this morning. But what that means is those Phrases once applied to the people of Israel now apply to the church. So for example, if you may, may recall in our series uh, that we did a couple of years ago, if you were, you were around it, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to the church, to his disciples, to you and to me, as salt and light. Salt of the earth and light of the world. Those two phrases likewise applied to Israel. They were the light of They were the salt of the earth. Failing to be the light, failing to be the salt, transitioned that calling to those who were in Christ, the church, you and me. Right? So look at this language. They were chosen people, but for a specific purpose. That is, they were intended, we were intended to be a royal priesthood. The the idea of a priesthood here is very important. Uh, The priest in Ancient Israel and ancient Near Eastern time served in an intermediary role, an in-between role, an intercessory role. So the priesthood or the community of priests or the nation of priests or a church full of priests stands in between the world and God, representing each to the other. Does that make sense? So as you leave this place today, Part of your role, as the church, is to represent God into the places and environments in which you live with, the roommates, the people you work with tomorrow morning, the family members you live with, all of those those folks. You represent God to them in your lifestyle, but also your words and your actions. On the other hand, you also represent them to God. You, You call God's name, call on God's name, Put their name on your lips. You pray for them. You intercede for them. You represent them to him. And particularly for those, he's going to say later on, who are still in the darkness. Your role is not one of calling judgment down on the people in the dark. Your role is one of calling blessing down on people still in the dark. Because that's what the Father's heart for them is. Right? They are, there is already a being in the universe who is drawing God's attention to the faults and failings of the people in the dark and telling God that he ought to judge them because of their faults and failings. There's already a being in the universe who's the prosecuting attorney, if that makes sense, right? That's not you, and you don't want to be on his side. You want to be on the side of God and the angels who seeks to bless those are still in the dark. He makes the rainfall a blessing of good and bad. Right? So that's the first thing. But then the second thing he says in order to be that Israel and the church needs to be a holy nation. Remember that holiness is not a moral category at first. You don't become holy by being moral. You are declared holy. And now out of that position you want to live in a way that justifies the designation. Does that make sense? So the reason we're a holy nation, we talked about this as well before, is because holiness is the platform, the rock, on which we stand to lend a hand to people who are still drowning in the darkness around them. Without holiness, there is no stand that we can take to be actually helpful. Holiness, then, is not about weirdness. Holiness is about helpfulness. Holiness is about the positional stance we take so that we can actually be helpful to God and save people. There's no fundamental difference between the way I act and the way everybody else acts. I'm not going to be helpful in saving them in any reasonable way. That, does that make sense? Then the second, third thing, you'll notice then that, that that doesn't entitle us but is part of God's, own special possession, is a, a, a relational connection. So it's not simply that we set aside relationship for religion, uh, it is that relationship is the function of religion. We'll talk about that here uh, in, in a few minutes. So a middle, in the middle of that, go ahead Miguel, onto go on to this next one. He says, once then you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This um, echoes Peter's twin audience. You may not be aware of the fact, that when Peter wrote his letter, he was writing to a church that was both Jewish and Gentile in ethnicity and self-understanding. So the Jewish part of the church understood the first part of that verse as being applied to them. Of course, we're the chosen people of God. Were, Israel, were the Jews, but the Gentiles had been told their whole life they were not part of the people of God because they were not Jewish. They were Gentile. Now Peter is saying in fact, God has overridden your ethnicity and you are now part of the chosen people of God. You are now part of this royal family. You are now part of the functioning role of Priesthood in the world. That's what I want you to do. Is that yeah? So so he says, now you weren't a people before. I get that. But now you are. Now please notice what this means uh, in, in terms of this next slide. Go ahead. He says, as a result, then I urge you to remember that you're foreigners in exile. All of you are citizens of a different kingdom, representing that kingdom of God to the planet. Everybody want to just pull out your green card and wave it for a few minutes. You all have one, right? No? You, 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 but you do know you've got it, right? You're not citizens first of the United States of America. You're citizens first of the kingdom of God. You are here as a foreigner, as an exile, as a stranger, representing that kingdom to this earthly kingdom. Your first priority, is that kingdom, not this kingdom. Now, as citizens of the nation, we exercise responsible stewardship of the gift of citizenship. We, we vote. We, we uh, become involved in civic responsibilities, and so on and so forth. But we've got to be very clear in mind, all of our voting, all of our protesting, all our activating, all of our working in rules laws, and so on and so forth, is not going to save the nation. Everybody clear on that? We elect our guy, whoever our guy is, and the nation will not be any better off in four years than it is now. Everybody okay? Sorry about that. I know that we, we have this Christian mentality sometimes, if we just get our guy in, whoever that might be, then everything will be okay. Did you know that the other guys feel the same way? So let's be clear our citizenship is secondarily American or Canadian. Uh, primarily kingdom of God. Right? That's what I mean with the green card. I happen to carry mine with me. I don't want to be caught in Arizona without it. So... Um, <laughs>
3: now
2: this is political as I'm probably going to get it. Back. I just wanted to see if you were... So it says, as green card carriers, citizens of another country, remember to abstain from uh, sinful lusts. Why? because that messes up your capacity to be out of the world, which way more against your soul. Secondarily, it'll damage you. That's why you want to pull that away from you. Does that make sense? So sitting in this passage, Miguel, can you back up one more? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot the last slide. Live such good lives among the pagans, the people still in the dark, that even when they accuse you of doing wrong, they're still going to see your good name not glorified God. How many of you find yourself sometimes in a place of being accused unjustly, simply doing what Jesus is asking you to do in the Bible? Peter says, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. So live your life in such a way, that, first of all, you, you, you don't do wrong to be accused of and then you gain persecution. Right? If you did wrong and you get nailed, you deserve to get nailed. Can I get a good if you do and get nailed, Peter says, let your life be lived in this historical perspective in such a way that the charges don't stick, they slide off like heaven. That's what really he's talking about. Okay? Now, back a couple of slides if you would to go to getting back to this. Yeah, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Please sit with me on the implications of this. First of all, the kingdom of God trumps your race. It trumps your ethnicity, it trumps your culture, it trumps your gender, it trumps your family. And the reason I want to sit with this is because even though what what we end up doing is taking the values of the kingdom and kind of using them as as an additive into the other things that we primarily identify with, Does does that make sense? So we kind of like to use Jesus as like STP, an additive in the fuel tank of our lives. that just kind of makes things go a little better. Jesus did not come to make your life better. He came to give you so his good. life, which may result in you losing yours. Is everybody okay with that? He did say, take up your Price. cross on your lazy boy and fall on mm-hmm. Did anybody not get that medal? Right. So as, as he does that, please notice what he's saying here is that your first identifier is not the color of your skin, not the last name that ties you to an ethnic heritage, not your cultural sense of being. And even more importantly, for our culture, not your gender. You are not first a woman or a man. You are first a citizen of the kingdom. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why we believe in promoting women in ministry. We believe that women can be as much filled with the Holy Spirit and power for spiritual giftedness and leadership as men can be. This is one of the reasons why we believe that there are others, but this is one of them. And I know there are cultural environments in which that is not applicable and appropriate, just like, by the way, there are cultural environments in which it is not appropriate for men to provide leadership. But we live in a culture in which, I think, uh, there, there, there is a, a good case to be made for, for multi-gendered partnership, team-oriented ministry in the power of the spirit. So that's why we do that here. But the second thing, well, the fifth thing, <laughs> um, is, that, is, that, is that kingdom trumps family. I know that there is in our country, and particularly in Christian frames of our country, an idolization of the family. The logic being that the family comes first. The only point, however, is that the family in Scripture does not come from Family comes in Genesis chapter 2. Kingdom comes in Genesis chapter 1. Kingdom trumps family. Now what does that mean? Some of you are the only member of your blood family that is the disciple of Jesus. Right? Your connection to the body of Christ is in fact stronger Anyways your connection to your family. It doesn't obviate your responsibilities to them, it doesn't nullify them. In fact, one of the primary ways that you will help people still in the dark is by exercising appropriate stewardship of those relationships, right? But out of an awareness that we are no connected problem. here first, that is, to the church, to Jesus Christ, to the body of Christ. So there are times when, I, I, I remember a couple of three, four weeks ago, I was, I was here and he was talking about how when, whenever we went on vacation, my dad took us to the various churches that we were walking while we friends, were on vacation. Why didn't he do that? Because he believed it. Message. He was the only member of his family who yeah. was a disciple. Yeah. My mom was the only member be be of be her family who so were disciples. And for them, the church was family. So when we went to the church in Kelowna, British Columbia, or, or Soyuz so British Columbia, or Spokane, Washington, we were going home. We were connected with family. Even though we had never met them, fact, when I grew up, uh, we were encouraged as children, as well as as adults, to refer to each other as brother and sister. Anybody grow up in a, in a church environment like that? I love that, that culture that it is infiltrated into our thinking and awareness that, that that while these people are older than me they're not better than me. We are on a brother-sister connection. A By the way you, you might also realize that that's why you do with the children's plan. Plan. We do not believe that children or young people are the objects of our professional programs why? To because they are brothers and sisters. Yeah, for sure. Cool. We believe that Thank children you. can be empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry, just as so much as older people. We, we believe that young people can be just as powerful <laughs> a word of <laughs> witness and prayer as people who are more mature in their faith. We, so that's why we view we, we, we children not as objects of ministry, but as partners in ministry. Why we are seeking to encourage them. develop their own spiritual gift so that they can serve as part of the body of Christ. Does that that make sense? So we're not probably ever going to be doing a lot of big programs in our youth ministry or with our kids. There are plenty of places that you can go if that's an important value for you. But for us, part of what we do is to say to our teenagers, you are the body of Christ. Grow up into your giftedness. Let's help discover what that is and put it into practice. You see? we do that with kids, I think think, um, that they can serve in those fundamental ways as well. So with that all said, I know that that's a little bit of a stretch for us, uh, uh, but I think it's important for us to understand. Second question I'd like you to focus on is what is the church's mission and mandate? And so with that, we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 16. most of these passages we've spent some time on before, but Matthew chapter 16 frames this uh, really well for us. Jesus is in the north part of the country. Uh, he has traveled with these guys for about three, three and a half years or so. Um, uh, and so he, he asks the question, uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So, Son of Man is his favorite designation for himself. By the way, I, I should mention mentioned this before. For those of you are relatively new to faith or to the church, or, and, and you're not following all of my vocabulary and stuff, please feel free to ask me. Um, because I, I kind of get on a roll and just keep going. And uh, it would be really helpful if you could press in and I could uh, clarify some stuff. Anyway, Jesus's favorite designation for himself is the Son of Man. So he's saying basically, what's the buzz on the street? Who do people say that I am? And the answer was, well, some say you're John the Baptist, not not John reincarnated, but you have a mission like John's to call us to repentance. Or you have a mission like Elijah to serve as the as the waymaker for Messiah to come, the one who is pronouncing the end of the age. Or you have a mission like like Jeremiah. You are weeping so much over the nation of Israel. You remind them out of the sorrow of your heart of Jeremiah, the so-called weeping. Some of you function that way in your relationship, that that sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, and trying to live out a life of hope hope in a hopeless environment. All you can do sometimes is weep at the the ways that people blow themselves up and self sacrifice That's a ministry of Jeremiah. Or maybe one of the other prophets. He says, well, you guys have walked with me for about three years. Who do you say that I will? And Peter's response is, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. This is not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't figure this out yourself, and nobody told you. Rather, it was revealed to you by my Father in the heavens. And I tell you, and then we're going to stop in this section for a second. I I tell you that you are Peter. The word Peter means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not be. Prevail against it or overcome it. So, um, the reason that I want you to stop with me on that last phrase is we get all panicking, especially on the on this side of the Reformation, with, with Jesus saying to Peter, a person, you are the rock upon whom I'm going to build my church. Because we think what Jesus is doing here is authorizing the first pope. Now, whether he is or not is irrelevant to me. I have not, I don't, I don't care very much about that. But let me think with me for a minute. What is Jesus actually say? He's saying, I'm going to build my church on people. What else would he build it on? Do you see? What else would he build it on? But people. Now, there's no people of a particular kind. What is it that enabled Peter to be the kind of person upon whom the church could actually be built? Well, Peter said, you are the Christ. The Son of the Living God. So it's not just anybody upon whom the church is built. It's people who line themselves with, align themselves with this confessional statement that Jesus is God. With me? So, so that's the, that's the primary, uh, primary focus there. Then he goes on and says some of the most outrageous things. He says, I will then give you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound, have, literally the Greek reads will have been bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in the heavens. In any word of his disciples not to tell anyone that he was a Messiah, that time was going to come a little bit, bit, bit later. But this phrase here at the beginning of the, of the verse, I gives give you the keys of the kingdom, is an important one because it gives us our mission and our mandate. What do you use keys for? To open and close, to lock and unlock, right? Well, that's what the church does. To what? To the kingdom. You open and close the doors of the kingdom to people who are out. You, as the church, are the primary gatekeepers and hopefully gate openers to people who are not in the kingdom and come into kingdom. That's the primary goal of the church, to stand in that ambassadorial, representative, priestly, intermediary, intercessory role, and say to those on the outside, y'all, come in. Everything's forgiven. There's a place in the table for you. That's the mission and mandate of the church. How? Second thing is keys of the kingdom, or keys, also represent authority to interpret. Authority to interpret. So our rabbis and students were given the keys to the rabbis teaching. Keys are now not physical, but, but having authority. So you, we as the church, are now the primary interpreters of Jesus' message of the kingdom to the world in which we live. So as you stand in front of your class uh, uh, of students tomorrow morning, as you sit in the classroom, as you as you sit in front of your computer terminal and, and, and work on code, as you as you engage in, in um, a conversation with your cubicle mate, right, as you as you sit at the conference table and work through political realities of being in whatever place you're in of employment you are, you are a primary interpreter and representer of the teaching of Jesus in that environment. That's what you do. You have an occupation teacher, engineer, software designer, whatever it is, you have that occupation, but your vocation, your vocare, your calling, is to represent Jesus as the King of the world. okay? That's what you do, and your occupation is a primary way of, of being in the world and doing it, we'll talk a little bit about that later on. So, so please notice here, back up with me, Miguel, uh, you know, if you will please, uh, last phrase, I tell you that you are and on this rock I will build my church. What's the church? It's not a loose coalition of people who get together every once in a while. It's an organization. It's an institution. People that say Jesus did not come to found a religion or to found an institution are just silly. Of course he did. He says this over and over again. You can't put, he said in another place, new wine into old wine skins. What do you need? You need new wine skins, new structures, new ways of thinking about things to carry the weight of the new wine and its explosive capacity. So Jesus comes in to establish an institution. The problem is not the institution. It's not the organization. The problem is what the people who are in the organization do with it. How many of you have been beat up by the church at one time or another? You haven't been going nearly long enough. Because it's, it's going to happen. Why? Because the church has got nothing in it but people like them. No, it, it's got folks in it like us. And the problem with the institution is that it sometimes gets too big for the organism that it's seeking to organize you get more bones than body. That's unhealthy because now all of the energy of the body, all the energy of the organism is devoted to supporting the bones, to supporting the organization. That's when it becomes problematic. Are you with me? But the organization as an idea is not the problem. So Jesus comes, this is why I say, if, if, if you want relationship without religion, relationship with whom? With what? Because there is a religion, you can't have a relationship. They go together. So again, the religion's not the problem. It's what we have done with it that's the problem. So having said all that, and, and everybody's looking at the and me. I've been dealing with this this week. So they're not here, but you're getting yeah, so, yeah. um, we, we serve in that. But, Authorized position to to, to, to respond to and push back to some of the some of the dynamic uh, of the assault of, of the kingdom of God. All right, next one is Matthew twenty eight, in which Jesus gives us our primary way of mission, uh, and we again looked at this passage. Jesus has been raised from the dead in the story, and now he is meeting his disciples on the mountain in Galilee that he had told them to meet them with second line, third line rather, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some of them doubted. They were not doubting the resurrection of Jesus. They were doubting their capacity for what was coming. Jesus said to them, all authority in the heavens and on earth has been given to you. So, go. Please notice, not to make disciples, but and." It's an important distinction. I'll come back to it a Of all nations. Baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Back up to the top of that. And it says, go. Please notice. Jesus is not saying go to me. He is saying you're going to be going. As you are going, be making disciples for you. Not go too many with the purpose of But as you are going as engineers, as merchants, as retail clerks, as nurses, as doctors, as attorneys, as you are going into the world, what are you supposed to be doing in the world? You're supposed to be making disciples, friends for Jesus. That's it. That's the primary strategy. The spread of the thing. As you stand in, 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 in law enforcement, or as you stand in, in, in your particular occupation, you have a larger vocation, and that is to be making disciples. Are you with me? So how do you do that? Well, he gives us the strategy. He says, baptize them, or immerse them, or soak them, or saturate them into the new reality of the trinitarian world. Now I you know that's not what that says, but that's what that. Means. Jesus is not giving us words to say when we immerse people in the waters of baptism. I think we should say those words, and in fact, every time I baptize someone, I say, I baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, I say those words. But Jesus is giving us, I think, a strategy for making disciples, and that is, as you are living in your apartment complex, as you are standing in front of your class, as you are working uh, on the assignment, as you are doing whatever else it is that you are doing, be immersing all those around you, be soaking them, be saturating them into the reality of the kingdom that has come, the trinitarian, the name, the reality of the father and Son. If you do that well enough for long enough, if you negotiate your life from within that reality, sooner or later, You will get an opportunity to teach them how to live their life, 5. And it will come as a result of the question. How many of you have discovered that people are much more ready to learn when they ask questions than when you force answers? That's what he's saying. Earn the right to teach, then teach. You see? So that's the strategy. His mission continued through us is to immerse people in that. So what does this new body look like, and how does it it embody itself here at the Garden? Look over with me at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and at the end of that chapter, verse uh, 42, uh, we get a snapshot of, of this new community empowered by the Spirit. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. four primary characteristics devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. As a result, everyone was filled with awe the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Go ahead uh, to the next one. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their home. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And notice what happens. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and look at the other. The Lord added to their number daily David those who were being saved. Where were those people being saved? Where were they coming into the kingdom? They were not coming into the kingdom of the community gathered on the side of the road they were coming into the kingdom as a result of a two or three or four year long conversation that somebody else is living with And then they were being added to the church as a result of being previously added to the kingdom. Does that make sense? So the primary work of this thing on a Sunday morning is not evangelism. I'm happy when people come to faith here. But the primary work of evangelism is when you, who are the church, live that way in the does that make sense? So five characteristics. They were spirit-filled and empowered community of charismatic leaders. By charismatic, I don't mean you know, nice people. I mean people who were filled with the spirit. Second, it was a community of discipleship that took Jesus seriously. Um, third, it was a community of worship, because worship was an important recalibration of outreach and then of community life. How does that work itself out here? Same five words. The garden is a community of worship. Why? Because you get knocked out of calibration during the course of a, of a, of a work. And worship is a way of recalibrating. When, when we sit together as a community and, and, and our worship leaders lead us, they remind us who who's we are and who we are. And I need to be reminded that, frankly. I need to be reminded that I'm not alone in the world. I need to be reminded that the voices that I hear on the radio as I as I, as I drive through the course of the week and the stuff that I read on, on in the newspaper on the internet, that's not the primary definer of reality. I serve a great and mighty God, and I am aligned with him in his purposes and work. That's why worship is so important. That's why gathering together in a community like this is so important. Can you worship privately? Yes. By all means do, but then bring your song to sing with us on Sunday morning. Because we need to do this as a community if we're going to function in a redemptive way of sin. Secondly, discipleship is a fundamental to our way of doing stuff. You'll notice that both Darren and I and any other speakers we have worked really, really hard, not always successfully, but we worked really, really hard to properly unpack and exegete the meaning of scripture for you because that's our job. That's what we do. We've both been trained in this. We've worked hard in this. And it's, it's critical that when you come, you know you're going to hear the word of God because that's the only thing that's the power to change lives. And we think lives need to be changed. So that's why we do that. The discipleship happens in two primary ways. The first one is word which talked about. But the second one is we want to walk with it. That happens in community group. As you move from the here kind of checking this out into the congregation who make the garden your home and now begin for community groups and whatever to move into the core, that way of walking is going to become more critical because you can't learn discipleship in a classroom. You have to learn it by walking. You have to learn it, work it out in plan. It's not take so many lessons and fill in the blanks and now you're excited disciple. develop. It's, I had to deal with this problem at work today. How would I do that? And your community group and your community group leaders and the, and the life of our larger group is going to be able to help with that. So word and walk. Third is Holy Spirit empowered leaders. Elders and pastors and staff folk are, are, are chosen not as a CBO model, but as a, an empowered, uh, based on the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit we see in them. And we want to capitalize that on that. So Holy Spirit empowered uh, leaders. Number four is community group fellowship where we eat together, we live together, we walk together. That is what it means for us. And that's why sometimes church, community group, has to trump family. It's part of what it means for us because remember, the family is not is supported by the church. It does not come logically prior to the church. The body of Christ comes first and that is what supports you with your family structure. Does, does that make sense? So that's a critical point. And number five, finally, is commitment to serve the city. Darren mentioned this before, and I just want to underline it again. The garden started as a way to serve Long Beach. I hope we never get away from that. As long as I have a, have a voice in this environment, and I know our others and our other pastoral team feels the same way, we want to be servants of the city. Through our community groups, through our organization, but more through our organism, how can you put in the role and and service clubs and and Boy Scouts and the and and various other places. How can we support you through our community groups to be infiltrated as salt and light into the cities in which you are? So as we think about planting other gardens in other places around Seal Beach, and Mosa, and and up the coast, and Redondo, and Manhattan Beach, as we think about the beach cities, because we don't really care about the inland folks. Uh, but as we think about planting, I want to think about how can we serve those cities? What are the issues in Seal Beach that we can be a partner with things that are already happening on the ground to serve? Do you, you see what I'm saying? That's what so Lake. So it's messy, uh, it's chaotic, it doesn't always work really well, but that's kind of who we are and why we are. Um, and so what I'm gonna do is we close off uh, this morning, uh, Pete and the team are gonna come back up and- we're just going to take a couple of minutes to worship together. But as we do, I'm going to ask you to begin to think regularly about praying for the leadership of the garden, uh, elders, community group leaders, pastoral team, and so on. But I also want you to begin to pray about blessing of the garden. Not so that we can enjoy the benefits of being blessed, but so that we can serve as requires of are a blessing for the cities in which we are. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to be together this morning as a community. Thank you for your word which challenges us, challenges me to a kind of commitment to people that aren't blood family, but that I desperately need. I pray that you would be glorified even as we draw to conclusion this morning. Lord, fill us up with your spirit and send us out.
3: To clear out a space for your presence to dwell and to move.